Welcome to the shit show. Hello, my squirrel friends. So today it is myself, Cassandra, and Kate. Say hi, Kate. Hi. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, an, a case that I actually forgot about. I mean, I, I like I remember parts of it, but like I don't remember the whole thing. And I meant to watch the documentary on it so that I had more to add to this, but I didn't. So it's going to have to be all Kate with me making random comments. I love you. <laughs> I you, but I didn't. I meant to, but I ended up falling asleep watching Deadly Women last night. That's fair. Have you ever watched that show? Yes, I love that show. I'm obsessed and I'm so sad that I'm almost finished. <laughs> it's okay. Um, have you seen that new thing? Um, it's like two two sentence horror stories. It's on Netflix. Yes, I watched them all. <laughs> I may have uh, watched that all in a day. <laughs> I don't like, and then like some of the cases on Deadly Women, I'm like, hey, we covered that one. Right. And you and I are both like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I know that one. <laughs> like, the, like last night it was playing one. I don't remember it, which one it was now. And I, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. And so I was like, I'll just skip this episode. And then like halfway through the other episode, I was like, wait, I didn't hear it before. I covered that one. <laughs> Idiot. It sounds like me. I'd be like, I've heard about that. No, I fucking did. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So you're going to be talking about the now tell me how to say it because I read it and I tried to say it out loud and it doesn't sound right. I believe and I, I'm going to be honest, don't quote me on it. And anybody in California, you can yell at me. It's totally fine. <laughs> I believe it is San Ysidro. So you think that you pronounce the Y? Yes. Okay. I could be wrong, but... Well, here, hold on. I know what we can do. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. All right, let's hear how they say it. Also, there's a documentary about this, too, so. Yes, it's called 77 Minutes. It was a hot Wednesday, late in the afternoon some lives in this McDonald's would be swept away, others forever changed when a man who, according to his wife, hated immigrants, walked in. Yep, he hated immigrants. When it was all over, 21 people from 8 months to 74 years old were dead, 19 wounded. The 77-minute-long incident would ended you just after say how a San Diego police sniper fired one shot, hitting the gunman in the chest, killing him on the spot. Southwestern College's higher education center but apparently, yes, his wife said he hated immigrants. See that? See, and but what gets me is, and and, and what I read today, because you, you guys know how I love to do last minute um, research when it's not my episode. Um, <laughs> it said that they never could find a conclusive reasoning for why he committed the murders, but just reading over the victim pool I'm like this was racial yeah especially since I know the 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 whole I'm not going to ruin it I'm going to let you talk about it but the whole like events of the day leading up to the shooting to me yeah, it's points fucked. to racially motivated 
but I'm going to be quiet now so you can go. <laughs> Alrighty. So today we're going to be talking about a man named James Oliver Huberty. He was born in Canton, Ohio, and was the second of two children to Father Earl Vincent. What a name. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not sure I can pronounce his mom's name. It's I C L E. Ickle? Eichel? I C L E. It makes me want to say icicle, but that's not right. I C L E. Icely. Icely. <laughs> sure. Elsa. We're going to go with Elsa. Now. Elsa. <laughs> Um, so however you say that first name, Evelone Huberty, who was a home, she was a homemaker and his dad was a quality inspector. Both parents were devoutly religious and the family was regular attendees at a local United Methodist churches. When he was three years old, he did contract polio, but to minimize the debility of his ailment, he was required to wear steel and leather braces upon both legs. Um... He did make a progressive recovery from the ailment, but he would be afflicted with mild limp for the remainder of his life. In 1950, his father had purchased a 155-acre farm in Mount Eaton, but his mother refused to live in a rural location and refused to even view the property. She abandoned her family to perform sidewalk preaching as a Pentecostal uh, missionary um, in Tucson, and found that James found his mother's abandonment emotionally devastating. His father would later recollect finding his son slumped against the family chicken coop sobbing. He was known to be a very sullen child whose primary interest was target practice. Keep that in mind for later. Dun dun dun. Right. A family, I, li- I like this description. A family acquaintance would later describe him as a queer little boy who practiced incessantly with a target pistol. Now let's remember that queer in the 50s did not mean what it means today. Right. No, it just means strange, but it just cracks me up that it's like, alrighty then. Um, By his teens, he was considered to be um, an amateur gunsmith, but due to his limp, family's extreme religious belief and his reluctance to socialize with peers he was often targeted by bullies at the Wayne Dale, Wayne Dale sorry, high school he graduated 51st out of 77 students in 1960 so he wasn't bad but it's not like he was you know incredibly smart or stupid or anything he was just just, just there average. Yeah, which is kind of different from a lot of the people we talk about yes because I feel like they're either low IQ or really or hot damn yeah yeah in 1962 he um went to college for sociology um and then ended up going to the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science he graduated with honors from that institute in 1964 and was issued a, um, a funeral director's license and an embalmer's license the following year but didn't it wasn't the college? I thought I saw it somewhere where the college he started. At, he started at Malone College for sociology, but then went to Pittsburgh. Yes, and I found that one really weird because the Malone College is a Jesuit community college. 
Like, that's not a light church. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Um, he did end up meeting his wife at Malone, though, before he transferred. And they um, got married. Her name was Etna Markland. Um, after they married, he obtained employment at a funeral home in Canton, Ohio. Although he was proficient at embalming, his introverted personality made him very ill-suited to dealing with members of the public, causing minor conflicts with his superiors. He did work in the profession for two years before opting to become a welder for a firm in Louisville. He worked for that firm for two years before getting a better paid position at Babcock and Wilcox in 1969. He was, he might be a little bit reclusive, but most of his employers considered him a reliable worker who would take overtime, earn promotions, and in the mid-1970s regularly earned between Twenty-five thousand to thirty thousand a year, which in today's money, like with inflation, is like one hundred and twenty-one to one hundred and forty-five thousand. Which so, is, I mean, you're making good money. Yeah. Um, the house that they had moved into, um, in the seventies, ended up getting burnt down at one point during the winter of nineteen seventy-one, and then they bought a different house on that same street, and then they also built a six-unit apartment building where the first home stand or had stood that they managed and they did have two daughters Zelia or Zelia I'm not super sure which in 1972 and Cassandra born in 1974 I saw that and I was like bitch what <laughs> I know I thought that was really funny this is not a okay listen it's not a very common name it really isn't like both of my internships, I did not meet a single child named Cassandra. And I Which only Which is so know, weird because it's so cute. I've only ever known one other person. And yeah. her and I were in school together for a brief moment in like middle school and part of high school. That's funny. So I'm like, why is it? And like, I can never find a keychain or a license plate little thingy or anything with my name on it. Like, it's so That's hard crazy. to find. So... Yeah, thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> so good to know. No, <laughs> so just FYI, secretly she's really this guy's daughter. No, kidding. <laughs> well, I'm about ten years or twelve years. You said she was seventy-four, right? So it's yeah. twelve years. We're twelve years apart. Unless I, was I am 100% a vampire. Kidding. I mean, maybe. All right. So, um, his neighbors and stuff did say he did, he was perceived as sullen, ill-tempered, and a little bit paranoid, who was obsessed with fire firearms and harbored a mental tally of every setback, insult, or general source of frustration, real or perceived, against him or his family within his mind. He did have a history of domestic violence as well, frequently slapping or punching his daughters, makes me want to punch him holding knives to their throats and beating his wife saw that when i saw the whole holding knives to his daughter's throats i was like the fuck right like, i'm just like no what no, is wrong no. with you why would you do that to your own children right 
So she did file, it looks like she only filed like one real report with uh, DCFS stating her husband had messed up her jaw, though later insisted on the majority of occasions he had assaulted her, he only struck her once. Starting in about 1976, she tried to persuade him to go to counseling to alleviate his sources of stress, but he refused to seek any form of therapy. But she needed therapy too. I don't know if you saw, she was also physically violent. Yeah, which is probably partly because of, you know. But like, there was this one, I'm going to steal your show for a second. There was this one instance that I wanted to bring up with about Etna. First of all, why is he with a woman named Etna and his mom was named Icicle? Like, what what is with the weird... I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so Etna attempted to instruct Zelia to physically assault a classmate during a birthday party and then later threatened that same classmate's mother with a nine millimeter. And Huberty threatened to shoot a neighbor's dog after it defecated on his lawn and also killed his own dog in a separate incident after a neighbor complained about it damaging his vehicle. I do remember that, yes. Like, both of them are not the best people. I feel like, I feel like this is one of those marriages that, like, they brought out the worst in each other. Right. But it does say that Etna took great uh, great efforts to minimize any possibility of agitating her husband and developed a mechanism whereby she claimed to be able to read his future by reading playing or tarot tarot cards, which she really believed. I saw that. And it kind of kills me. I don't know why, but it just cracks me up. Um, so the he was also a conspiracy theorist and self-proclaimed survivalist who believed the escalation of the Cold War was inevitable and that both President Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan and the U.S. government were conspiring against him. Which kills me. I know. I'm like, dude you're not that important like i was gonna um, say the the audacity of the self-inflatedness i know i just was like amazing okay sir (laughs) you do you (laughs) um eventually they did uh end up moving out of ohio obviously because he was having trouble finding lasting employment um he was able to find like alternate welding employment here and there but it was only like a five-week thing before the plant closed. Um, they were, and then a couple of weeks after he became unemployed, they were he and one of his daughters were injured in a traffic accident, where he noted aggravation in neck pains that he had endured since childhood, but also noted an occasional increasing nerve tremor in his hands and arms, which could be from the polio that he had when he was a kid. But obviously, you know, things like that can, you know. And I think that that altered his mental state a little bit. Like, it's already obvious that he's depressed, right? Because even his oh, yeah. wife, who is also psycho puppy, says that he needs mental health attention. You just said psycho puppy made me real happy for some reason. <laughs> I have no idea why. But like, like, she was already like a wacko. And she was, she's like, I see your wacko, but you have raised said wacko and you need attention right and i think i also read somewhere he actually tried to commit suicide and she stopped him i i think i remember reading something about that yeah and like 
so again, like we already know that something's wrong. And I think now that he's had a physical ailment, I think that's going to add to yeah. his like downward spiral of psychology. Because didn't that ha- accident happen in 83? I think so, yeah. And the whole incident happened in 84, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I really think that there's like a timeline of his mental health just like plummeting. Yeah. So now we're getting towards the incident here. I just really felt like he, y- y'all needed to know about this crazy man because he, he was something. Like he was something. He's a special so they, kind of crazy. For real. They say um, July 15th of 1984, he commented to his wife that he suspected he had a mental problem. Two days later, on the morning of July 17th, he called the San Diego Mental Health Clinic requesting an appointment. He left his contact details with the receptionist and was assured the clinic would return his call within hours. According to his wife, he sat quietly beside the telephone for several hours awaiting the return call before abruptly walking out of the family home and riding to an unknown destination on his motorcycle. Unbeknownst to Huberty, the reception had misspelled his name as Schuberty, which I don't know why that made me smile, but it did. It it made me smile, too. (laughs) His polite demeanor conveyed no sense of urgency to the operator, and he had elaborated in the phone call he had never been hospitalized for mental issues. Therefore, the call had been logged as a non-crisis inquiry to be handled within 48 hours. Now, I want to comment on that before you go any farther. So I was a crisis clinician, okay? I, that was my job. If we got a non, now this is, you know, granted this was 30 some odd years ago, but even now, if we get a non-crisis call, we have 24 to 48 hours to respond. Right. And like, I'm not like knocking that at all. No, like, I'm just, I'm just saying like, I get why he was like, I mean, cause like in some of the articles that I read, <clears throat> they tried to say that it was the mental health clinic's fault for not catching Oh this. yeah. No. See, and I'm, I'm not- like, no, because. If he had, if he had had any sense of urgency, then I would say, yes, they were at fault. But in all the articles right, that I read, it. they said that he was very calm. He was very articulate. So there was no like distress in his voice. And so, I mean, granted, I remember my boss saying, you have 24 to 48 hours, but call them back in the next 12. So that could yeah, be Yeah, because you want to at least let shift. them know, you know. That could be a whole, but for me, like if, they, if I got a call at 8 p.m., that's a whole shift. They're not going to yeah, get true. called back until 8 a.m. And even in that time frame, it can be too short. So like to the listeners, <laughs> if you have a mental health issue and it is urgent that you do not think you can wait 24 to 48 hours, make sure you tell them that yeah that's how long you will wait (laughs) so that's just so just a psa for the day yes today you learned if you have a mental health issue and it's not something that can wait 24 to 48 hours you need to let them know yes or you're gonna wait 24 to 48 hours (laughs) right but after he left the house, he came back an hour later and returned in a contented mood. I just want to know what he did in that hour, but at the same time, I don't know if I do. Masturbated in his car behind a McDonald's. But <laughs> after eating dinner, Huberty, his wife, and their two dollars, 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 dollar bills, y'all. 
<laughs> he, he brought two dollar bills and he drew faces on them <laughs> and named them Zelia and Cassandra <laughs> oh my god they cycled to a nearby park and later that evening he and his wife watched a film together on the television the following morning he took his wife and children to the San Diego Zoo in the course of their walk through the zoo he told his wife his belief that his life was effectively over referring to the mental health clinic's failure to return his phone call from the previous day he said well society had their chance and after eating lunch at a different McDonald's restaurant in Claremont they returned home shortly thereafter he walked into the bedroom wearing a maroon t-shirt and green camouflage slacks as his wife lay relaxing upon their bed he leaned towards her and said i want to kiss you goodbye she kissed her husband and then asked where he was going stating her intention to soon prepare the family dinner he calmly replied he was going hunting hunting for humans so first of all that that should have been a cue but before i get to that so you what got me that thinking that this was racially motivated is the fact that he went to a nice white neighborhood and went to their McDonald's that same day. Yep. And had no issues. Yep. So that to me right off like that was like a big red fucking flag that like this motherfucker is a racist piece of shit. Oh, he is. But then what gets me is when he tells Etna that he's going to go hunting for humans, why the fuck did she not do anything? She did nothing. She's just like, oh, he's going hunting for humans. Okay. Like, I would have called the police, taken his kneecaps out. Like, I get that, like, she had, you know, a very abusive relationship with him. And so she might have been afraid of him at that point. But if once he left, why the fuck didn't you call the police and tell them what was going on and give them the license plate to his car? Right. And even if you thought he was kidding, like, be like, look, I don't know if he's serious. Right. Like, I don't know what kind of mental state he's in. Like, I'm concerned about his safety because she had already been saying that she was concerned about his mental health. So why would you not? Maybe this just me thinking differently but if my husband and I said this today while I was researching this at my internship I told the other intern and I probably scarred her for life so if Alyssa you're listening I'm really fucking sorry but no she's not (laughs) (laughs) but I said if it was my husband if my husband now we have guns in our house and if my husband came up to me strapped and loaded and said I'm gonna go hunt for humans I would take his damn knees out like he's not so, leaving. Ma'am, if that ever happens, you need to call me. <laughs> like, and even if he's got a gun, I am taking a shovel and taking his knees out. Like, we're not doing this today, sir. Like, like I'm sorry. You have a, you have exceeded your limit on insanity. <laughs> you have you exceeded your bullshit limit for the day, and we're not doing this. I would pop his tires, something. I would try to get him to not leave, is what I'm getting. Right. And I don't understand why she was like, okay, honey, bye. (laughs) Right. Like, even if she thought he was kidding, like. She knew he was sick in the head. Like, why? I just, oh, that's the part that bothers me the most. Yes. But they say holding a gun across his shoulder and carrying a box of ammunition and a bundle wrapped in a checkered blanket 
He glanced toward his eldest daughter, Zelia, and as he walked towards the front door, said, Goodbye, I won't be back. He then drove down San Ysidro Boulevard, and according to eyewitnesses, he drove first towards the Big Bear Supermarket, then a U.S. post office branch before entering the parking lot at a McDonald's restaurant approximately 200 yards from Avril Road apartment. From his Avril Road apartment, excuse me. At approximately 3.56 p.m. on July 18th, he drove his black Mercury Marquis sedan into the parking lot of a McDonald's restaurant on San Ysidro Boulevard. In his possession were a 9 milliliter millimeter That's a very Browning <laughs> HP semi-automatic pistol, a 9 millimeter Uzi carbine, a Winchester 1200 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, a box and a cloth bag filled with hundreds of rounds of ammunition for each weapon. A total of 45 customers was present in the restaurant. Hold on. Before you get there, do you, did you read what happened right before he started shooting? No. It cracks me up. It shouldn't, but it did. Someone saw him walking into the McDonald's with all this shit, right? Yeah. And they called the police, but they gave them the wrong address. No. Yes. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> that sucks ass. But I laughed at first because I was like, oh my God. I'm like, that would be like the whole thing the person been over who called, in minutes. Well, and the person who called, you know, feels like shit. Oh, yeah. And I, like I said, murder's not funny, but this particular thing i was just like oh my god like that that's so something right, it's like, it's i would one do of those, it's so <laughs> fucked up that it's like you have to laugh at how fucked up it is and it, it's in like such a panic you know you're like oh my god right. there's this guy carrying all these guns into a mcdonald's like right, like i would probably be like i don't fucking know where i am like, oh yeah well that would be me i don't know where the fuck i am i can tell you what's around me because i'm really bad with street names so i'd right. be like there's a target and <laughs> There's a gas station. Like, I'm right, just no, I just calling out shit. <laughs> so his, when he first goes, or entering the restaurant minutes later, he aimed his shotgun at the 16-year-old employee from a distance of 15 feet. The assistant manager shouted, Hey, John, that guy's going to shoot you. I, I laughed a little when I read that. I, like, excuse the fuck out of me. <laughs> But according to the 16-year-old named John Arnold, when Huberty pulled the trigger, nothing happened. As Huberty inspected the gun, the manager of the restaurant, um, 22-year-old Neva Kane, walked towards the service counter in the direction of Arnold. As Arnold, believing the incident to be a distasteful joke, began to walk away from the gunman. He fired, Huberty fired a shotgun towards the ceiling before aiming the Uzi at Kane, shooting her once beneath the left eye, and she died minutes later. After shooting Kane, he fired a shotgun at Arnold, warning the teenager in his chest and arm before shouting a comment to the effect of everybody on the ground. He then referred to all present in the restaurant as dirty swine Vietnam assholes for claiming he'd killed a thousand and he intended to kill a thousand more. Upon, okay. <laughs> right. Upon hearing the rant and seeing Kane and Arnold shot, one customer, 25-year-old Victor, Victor Rivera, tried to persuade him not to shoot anyone else. In response, he shot Rivera 14 times, repeatedly shouting, shut up, as Rivera screamed in pain. Let's talk about overkill. Right? Like, 
I mean, okay, I think we've talked about this before. Where like, you know, where we talked about like the intent to kill. You know, where like you aim at certain parts or like you stab certain parts. Right. With the intent to kill them. And like for this, I feel like it was just so fucking frenzied for him to shoot him that many times. Yes. So after that, he's just on a rampage. He's shooting everybody. I don't want, I feel like it's a little rude to go through everybody's names and ages personally. Um, you can look them up very easily, but just know 21 people were killed and 19 were uh, wounded. And three of them, I want to add. Yeah, three were of them were like outside. In, yeah. They weren't even in the McDonald's, they were outside. Yeah. Like this guy. Ugh. It was I, men, women, children. Like he did not give a elderly. Fuck. He didn't give a fuck. Nope. He was just shooting everybody. Um. So, let's see here. Just looking here. Yeah, that was the people that were outside. So, about ten minutes after the first call had been placed to emergency service services, police arrived at the correct McDonald's. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really shouldn't laugh, but like, it's just, no, I get you. I feel like, you know how, like, we've already been razzing on like the, the cops of this time period. Right. Like, I feel like this just did not help the case at all. No. Again, it wasn't, wasn't their, their fault, fault, but it's still kind of like, it's still kind of like, goddamn LA cops, man, fucking shit up and fucking the border of Mexico down. <laughs> it's just not helping, man. Um, so he was firing rapid, uh, rapidly and um, alternating between his firearms. And so police had no idea how many people were inside. And a lot of the restaurant windows had been shattered by the gunfire. And so the reflections from shards of glass made it especially difficult for the police to focus on anything going on inside because there's just like all sorts of light bouncing off and everything. They didn't know if he had hostages and someone who escaped said that there was a single gunman who was holding no hostages and shooting any individual he encountered um yeah what was his name i know i saw it i don't remember off it the was top. some guy he like escaped he just from managed the basement, to get out yeah right yeah i think so but um at 5.05 p.m., all responding law enforcement personnel were authorized to kill the perpetrator or perpetrators should they obtain a clear shot. Um, several survivors later reported observing Huberty walk towards the service counter and adjust a portable radio, possibly to search for news reports of his shooting spree before selecting a music station and further shooting individuals as he danced to the music. He searched the kitchen area, discovering six employees open firing, killing at least three and critically wounding another. Immediately before he began shooting, um, one of the girls that he killed grabbed the hand of her friend and colleague, um, who was 17, and they began to run. She, the girl who was the employee, ran and or was fatally shot, and. Flanagan and four other employees and a female customer ended up in the basement utility room. And then somebody, one of the people who had been shot like five times ended up being able to crawl down there as well. A fire truck drove within range and Huberty opened, fired, repeatedly piercing the vehicle with bullets and slightly wounding one occupant. Which is so 
awful. Like when you think about like emergency personnel, you think about like the cops being the ones that, that are shot or whatever. Right, and then the the the, the poor, but this poor fireman was just ugh, makes me sick. So at 5.17, he walked from the service counter towards the doorway close to a drive through window, and that allowed 27-year-old police SWAT sniper Charles Foster um, an unobstructed view of his body from the neck down through his telescope telescopic sight. Foster fired a single round from a range of approximately 35 yards, or 32 meters, and it entered his uh, Huberty's chest, severed his aorta just beneath the heart, and exited through his spine leaving an exit wound one square or one inch square and sending Huberty sprawling backwards onto the floor directly in front of the ser- service counter, killing him almost instantly. I almost feel like I wish they would have like made it more painful because fuck that guy. Well, but, like, uh, my, my we hope is that he's like it. burning in French fry oil in hell. Yes. Like that's my hope is that there is some demon dipping him in a fry basket into a vat of McDonald's oil. And he has to smell the amazingness that is McDonald's french fries and never be able to have them. Right. <laughs> that's my that's my hope. That that's what's happening to him in his eternal life right now. Um, but they did say that prior to shooting several of his victims, he had shouted um, accusations or insults and one time he even said that he himself did not deserve to live but that he was taking care of this matter and he kept saying you know he's a veteran of the Vietnam War but he had never actually served on any military branch so yeah he's fucking nuts yeah and like the whole thing that's why the documentary is called 77 minutes it lasted seven that is okay if you've ever been in a scary situation a minute seems like forever. forever. And so these people were in this situation for, for over, over an hour. hour. And that is just mind boggling to me. Oh, and like one of the people that he shot was brain dead. So technically that day he killed 20 people and then one died the following day. Right. With 19 others just wounded too. But like, I mean, severely yes. wounded. Yeah, and like it's just it's just so sad. Like this whole thing is just like I feel like these people are going to have issues forever. I mean, how do you go back into a McDonald's after that? You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying that McDonald's is some great staple. <laughs> but like today reading this and then I ended up talking about McDonald's with some of the people at my internship and I've been now craving like a crazy person McDonald's french fries so like I feel like it's a guilty pleasure that a lot of people can share but one of the crazy things about this for me was they said that Huberty fired a minimum of 257 rounds that is a lot. I know. Of I saw that. And I was like, holy shit. That is so much ammo. I know. It's crazy. And it's like, I just sit there and I'm like, how the fuck? How the fuck? How the fuck? And then like people were that were injured were like trying to 
like hold their wounds together. Yeah, with napkins and shit from the from McDonald's. Which let's be real, those hardly work against the grease. I doubt they're gonna work against blood. Right, but I mean, like, could you imagine being in that kind of a panic that you try to fix yourself and the people around you with fucking napkins? You want to hear something that's really going to piss you off? No, but yes. So in 1986, his wife, well, widow, unsuccessfully sued McDonald's and Babcock and Wilcox, so like the welding place he worked for, uh-huh. in Ohio State Court for $7.88 million, claiming that the massacre was triggered by the combined mixture of McDonald's food, which I mean, maybe, and work around poisonous metals. She alleged that the monosodium glutamate, so MSG, in the food combined with the high levels of lead and cadmium in Huberty's body induced delusions and uncontrollable rage. An autopsy did reveal high levels of the metals, most likely built up from the fumes inhaled during his 14 years of welding, but they also revealed that there were no drugs or alcohol in his system at the time of the killings. So he was just an asshole. He was just a gar- a racist garbage person. Yeah, but this bitch really tried to sue McDonald's. ma'am. <laughs> right, I was just like, <clears throat> excuse the fuck out of who? And then, like, the sad part about all of this for me is, like, so I did read a little bit on the victims and, like, the local funeral homes, because there were so many victims, they had to hold all the wakes at the San... What did you say? Yes. Oh. Yes, yeah, I think it's like all at the same time. Civic Center. And like the local parish, Mount Caramel Church, was forced to do back to back funeral masses so oh my that the God. dead could be buried in like a timely fashion. Which is insane. And well, and like, <clears throat> it just, these people, I mean, I, so I don't know who's ever been to like a funeral recently. But, like, it is a long process. Like, especially if you go to a church funeral, right? Yeah. And then you go to the burial ground, and it is very ceremony, and it is very, you know, like, somber. Could you imagine what this would have been like to just be like, all right, next, next, next? Like, well, just imagine, like, like the poor priest that had to, like, probably do, like, most of it, too. Yeah, exactly. Because it's all from the same community, so you know it's the same guy. Yeah. And it just, it, it's, it's so sad. And then, like, there were reported <clears throat> uh, several police officers who responded to the scene of the San Ysidro McDonald's massacre suffered from symptoms, including sleep withdrawal, loss of memory, and guilt in the months following the whole massacre. Oh, I bet they did. Poor guys. Right. And then a study commissioned by the National Institute of Mental Health and conducted by the chief psychologist of the San Diego Police Department in 1985 concluded that several officers suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the massacre. Oh. Like, see, this is one of those times that I really do feel bad about it. Like, when you're, like, they literally, like, had they been given the right address, like, I still think it could have been stopped so much faster. Right. So many less people would have been. And then the real kick in the pants about this whole thing 
is that this, at the time of this massacre, it was the deadliest mass shooting by a lone gunman in U.S. history. Yes, I think it took like almost, I think it was over a decade before, no. Seven years. Might have been seven years. Seven years was the next major one. So no one had ever done this before at this scale. It's crazy. So I think that it? was another reason why people had such bad mental health issues. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I, I just, I, I don't understand. Like, you know, in most cases, I can kind of see why people kill certain people. Like, sure. Like, there's times when I'm like, Gypsy Rose, for instance. I got why she killed her mom. Even, even Edmund Kemper, I understand why he killed his mom. Oh hell yeah. I understand why he killed his grandmother to a point. But this guy just walked into a fucking public place and like, oh, these people are the worst to me. Yeah. The ones that there's like like, no discernible reason or rhyme for what they're doing. Because I'm a piece of shit and I don't like you. And the only other person that I could think of like that, that he's not a mass murderer. He's a serial killer is Richard Ramirez. Yes. I feel like because for those of you who don't know <laughs> Richard Ramirez is the Night Stalker well one of them <laughs> and right. I think there's like seven yeah <laughs> and he he had no discernible pattern he just killed people willy nilly he didn't matter age race uh, sex didn't matter some people he left by alive some people he didn't he was a fucking chaos bringer like nobody's business He's what we call chaotic evil children for yes. my dear D nerds. And so I feel like people who are mass murderers rank up right up there with Richard Ramirez. And personally, yes. and people may dispute me on this, but I think Richard Ramirez is the worst serial killer. As far as what he did, his victimology, how he did it. Yes. <clears throat> I, even though his numbers are not as high as others, I still think as far as garbage people is concerned and shit human beings is concerned, Richard Ramirez is like number one. Yeah. Like he was just a garbage person to the extreme. And I think after that is every other person that's a mass murderer. Like, because there's no reason for it. Like people, these people were just trying to eat. I mean, he did that exact same thing. He literally went to McDonald's the exact same day. Right. Just a different one. And was just doing a mundane daily thing of stuffing his face. Yeah. And that's all these people were trying to do is just stuff their face. And he was like, no, fuck you. I'm going to ruin your entire life. Exactly. And it's like, what the ever loving fuck? And that's why I don't like mass murderers. And that includes people who do the school shootings. Like, you're a garbage person. Yes. People are just trying to do everyday things that they will probably never be able to do again without some anxiety. Mm-hmm. All because you decided to be a garbage person. <laughs> like, I just, I can't. Mass murderers to me are just absolutely the worst. They really are. Because at least there's like some <clears throat> victimology for serial killers. Like they pick a certain person or a certain type of people that they go after. But mass murderers, they just like fuck everybody. 
Yeah. You know, and I think that, and, and especially in like regular day-to-day conditions, it just makes it so much worse. It does. But I'm just glad he's dead, honestly. Yeah. Like I said, I see, I sort of kind of wish that he had gotten a more painful death, but at the same time, I don't because then it was possible he could have killed more people. Absolutely. Um, that's all I really have on this guy I just kind of really wanted to go through like his backstory because I just thought it was like insane that just like I don't know it was just for me also the fact that he was not like ridiculously smart or ridiculously stupid but then just it's like I'm gonna go kill 21 people yeah exactly like he's just like he just he just decides because a he didn't get a call back from a mental health clinic that he's gonna right. go off and kill 21 people like right just oh you know what else that makes so much sense not so um unfortunately for you guys the next episode is not going to be much better than this one (laughs) but it's going to be much more psychological because there weren't that many victims they all were alive he didn't kill anybody i think no, he didn't kill anybody. <laughs> it took me a second because I'm like, like I, I made the mistake of researching two cases at once. Well, I'm researching two different people at the same time. And that know, probably isn't the smartest thing to do, but it is what it is. You're going to like mix up stuff and I'm going to be like, ma'am, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why that's why I sound very scripted when I t- when I do my stories, because I write them all down and read it verbatim. Because if I don't. I'm going to go off and talk about another serial killer that has nothing to do with the one I'm talking about. And so you guys will get lost. So and I'll be but, sitting there. I don't know who we're talking about. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but the next one that I'm doing is very psychological, very, very psychological. And these are the types of cases I absolutely like rabbit hole because it's just and there is somebody I hope that I can try to get on the podcast with us for that episode but I don't know if she's going to be able to do it I'll keep my fingers crossed but I'm hoping if not it's not that big of a deal I still love her um, <laughs> so she says well it's just I like to do everything last minute so I'm emailing her today about the one we're doing in like what one three days right so that's not a lot of notice that's fair that's fair (laughs) but yeah and then but i'm not telling you any more than that because you don't want people disappointed well no i'll just give it away if i keep talking i'm gonna give it away um i would love if you guys have any other suggestions i haven't gotten a suggestion in a while um, so if you guys have any cases you want to hear or, or recent ones you want us to talk about, cause I know that we talked about Gabby Petito, um, you know, and you know what? I'm really bad. I didn't check to see if they found Brian. Um, nope. Let me see. Uh, FBI again, visits home of Brian laundry. <laughs> I think it is laundry. I think you were actually right. But they haven't found him yet. They're still looking for him. Maybe one day. I don't know. 
but dog's on the case, guys, so I don't think it's going to be long. <laughs> the man's only been on it for a few days. So. Right. I think we'll be all right. I think, <laughs> I think we'll find him soon. I can't. Dead or alive. <laughs> Dead or alive, dog's going to find him. <sighs> okay. So having said all that, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.